We uh, thank God for his providential ordering of events that Sister Cecily Odom happened to be here in town the first Sunday we meet back together since the start of the pandemic. So we're grateful to God for her ministry to us, and we pray that his providence will allow her uh, to join us again in the near future. Well, we're here at the point where we get to open the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're like me, uh, you grew up hearing verses, verse 8 in particular. Um, this text was uh, repeated over and over again, and we memorized it as a child. I didn't, however, know the full extent of the meaning, meaning of the verse until I grew older and uh, learned more from the Word of God. And this morning, we want to look more deeply at what is found in our text Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8 through verse 10. Let me read the verses in your hearing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The subject, as you may know already, is salvation by grace alone. What makes a person a Christian? Is it being a church member? No. Is it having been baptized? No. What about doing good deeds. No. All these things really are a consequence of being a Christian, but none of them make a person a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the three verses that I just read in your hearing, the Apostle Paul really lays out in a summary fashion the things that make a person a Christian. He summarizes the great truths of salvation by grace alone. That great truth teaches that a person becomes a Christian, now get this, solely and entirely by the grace of God. The Protestant reformers, they underscored this biblical truth with the Latin slogan, sola gratia, meaning grace alone. Only God can make a person a Christian. Becoming a Christian Becoming a child of God is a supernatural work of grace. And God is a God of grace. Grace, in fact, is an attribute of God, as is his other attributes, omnipotence, omnipresence, immutability, aseity, independence, all the rest of the attributes that he reveals about himself. Grace is an attribute of God, perfected. It is who he is. It defines him. By his gracious action, he saves sinners. He saved you. That fact is our first point. We are saved by grace. Paul begins here in the text, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul begins with that word, for because he wants to explain that salvation is truly by grace. That is, it does not originate with us. 
that it does not involve us in any way. We do not assist God or did not assist God. God in his omnipotence is perfectly able of saving sinners without their help. He didn't need you to do it. The text states, by grace. What is grace? You know, I hear people in the world at events that elicit sorrow, uh, mass shootings or whatever, and they always want to sing Amazing Grace. And I think to myself, they don't really understand what grace is. What is grace? Grace is defined as unmerited and undeserved favor to sinners. No sinner is entitled to or deserves God's favor. No sinner can merit his grace. There is no spiritual meritocracy in spiritual matters. On the contrary, all sinners, all you, all I, deserved are what we have are demerits. We have demerits before him because of our sin. Therefore, speaking of merit, <laughs> we merit his opposition. We merit his hatred. We merit his wrath. We merit his condemnation. But by grace, rather than hatred from him, we receive love. We receive, instead of just condemnation, justification. And this grace is sovereign grace. God sovereignly initiated this action toward us. The saving initiative. You have to go all the way back to eternity past. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.9, listen to the text, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Think about this. Before the beginning of time, before he created the human race, God in his sovereignty determined to give to us his unmerited, undeserved favor. His grace. His grace. Think about that. More specifically, to whom did he grant this grace? Ephesians 1.4 says it clearly. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That word in Ephesians 4, chose, is in a form in the Greek language that means that God chose with personal interest. It wasn't that God just looked at the mass of humanity and said, I'll just take this one, that one, and the other. No, 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 no. He had a personal interest in each one that he determined to save. That means he had a personal interest in you. He had a personal interest in you. Before you were created, before there was a world, he had a personal interest in you in that he was going to save you. He elected you, chose you in Christ. Think about this for a moment. This will help you understand the reason. You know, people always say, well, what's the reason for existence? What's the reason for the universe? Why do, why do things exist? Think about this. Since we were chosen him before the foundation of the world, that foundation meaning before things began, foundation, the beginning of everything. Think about this. 
for the expression of God's grace, the universe had to be created. The human race had to be created. So that God's divine decree would be realized, he had to say, as it does in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We understand then why he created everything. He wanted to display his grace in human life, in history, and in ours. And this grace, this gracious election by God the Father, was his love in action. His love in action. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God. The but God there is very important because in verses 1, 2, and 3, it talks about our dire circumstance. It talks about our sinfulness. It talks about uh, us deserving wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. We followed the world. We followed Satan. And with, that was very dark. It was very dire. We were in deep spiritual danger. And then you come to verse 4 and it says, but God. Two powerful, wonderful words, but God. When you think about your life and what you were before Christ, you can always say, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. His gracious election of us was predicated on his great love for us. His grace was his love in action. Selecting grace. When it says his great love with which he loved us, it means that he set his love on us. The ones he chose in Ephesians 1.4, those are the ones he set his love on. His saving love. He loved us before we knew him. He loved us before we loved him. He loved us before we were created. He's loved us from eternity past. He's loved us. Think about that. God has loved you, set his love on you before there was a you. Gerhardus Voss writes, quote, The divine love for the elect is different not only in degree, but specifically from all other forms of love. Because it involves a purpose to save of which all the other forms of love fall short. Close quote. Electing love is the one love that is superior to every other love because it is the love that redeems. It is the love that saves. It is the love that sets men free. It is gracious electing love. But God's for us in this, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, verse 8. Salvation by grace alone is portrayed by the grammar of our text. Verse 8. I like to call it the grammar of grace. You look at the text there, and it says, have been saved. Translates... uh, what is called a passive participle, passive voice. Grammarians call it a divine passive. 
In other words, God did the action. You have been saved by an action upon you, by God. You didn't do a thing. He acted toward you. It's the grammar of grace. The grammar of grace is further elaborated in that the words have been saved portray that the divine action was completed in the past with continuing result. To put it another way, God initially saves by his grace and by his grace he keeps us saved. That's good news, isn't it? God keeps us saved. I'm glad of that. Because I'd have a hard time trying to keep myself saved. You would say the same thing if you're honest. Somebody say, well, well, what does saved mean? What are we talking about God saved us? Let me tell you what it is. Salvation is a divine rescue operation. God delivered us. In fact, the word means rescue. It means deliverance. We were rescued from danger. We were delivered from divine wrath in the lake of fire. Rescued from eternal separation from God. From God who's the sumum bonum of life. The highest good of his creatures. We've been rescued from being separated from him for all eternity. No longer is that the case. He saved us from our sins. And the penalty of them. He saved us. And that's no small matter. The more I think about salvation and all that it entails, and I think about the eternal consequences of being a human being, whether you're saved or lost, and knowing that we've been saved from just damnation to spend eternity separated from him in the lake of fire, salvation is a mighty, great thing. The magnitude of it cannot really be scaled by our minds. Saved by a holy God who didn't have to do it. But entered into our situation and chose to deliver us from our sin. Think about that. Where would you be if he hadn't saved you? And he did it all by himself. The reality of this divine rescue operation is that we couldn't do anything about it for ourselves. We couldn't help ourselves. We were slaves to sin, rebelling rebelling against God. We didn't want God. We were going our own way like sheep. And God, in his grace, reached down, having determined to do so in eternity past, I am going to save him. I am going to save her from sure doom. You see in our text, it says further, we've been rescued through faith. Faith is the channel which we receive the blessing of salvation. I know some people say, aha, you're talking about salvation by grace alone, but there's faith. That's, that's my part. Uh, that, that's what I contributed. You see, you see, it's not by grace alone, it's by grace plus what I give. I make my contribution. Let me tell you, anybody who's thinking that, that's an error. Do not think that 
God's contribution is grace and your contribution is faith. Salvation is not some kind of um, transaction whereby God acts and man acts. And when God and man act together, guess what? Salvation occurs. Salvation is not synergistic. It is monergistic. Synergistic meaning two working. Monergistic means one working. And only God was working. First, the idea uh, that we contributed faith and somehow we help bring about our salvation is untenable. Let me ask you a question. What can dead people do? I can, I've never seen a dead person contribute to anything. They do not function in their environment. They, they're just dead. And that's the perfect uh, way to describe us before salvation. Ephesians 2.1, when Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were unregenerate in that state. We could not respond to God. We could not make a motion toward God, as Jonathan Edwards said. Dead people, physically or spiritually, cannot contribute anything to their respective spheres. Spiritually dead people, here's my point, cannot exercise faith. Can't do it. They're dead. So we were dead. God had to make us alive. To make us alive. He had to do that. Verse 5, out of it. Ephesians 2, 5. Look what it says. Even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. It's a spiritual resurrection. He made us alive. We were dead in our trespasses. We couldn't do anything but be dead. That was our state. And God intervened in our state, in our sin, and he made us alive. In Christ. It's a new birth. It's regeneration. It's what we're experiencing as God did it. That's grace. <laughs> Sheer grace. It's what our Lord has done for us. Further, underscore this in verse 8. You see there it says, and that. Not of yourselves. I want to focus on one word. The word that. That word (laughs) refers back to the words, for you have been saved through faith. The whole process of salvation, the whole salvation event, comes from God. It includes the faith which we exercised to trust Christ. We heard the gospel. And when we said, I believe that he died for my sins, he was raised from the dead, and I'm embracing him as my Lord and Savior, that faith that we expressed toward him, that came from God. It didn't come from us. He gave us that. The whole saving event is a gift of God. 
It's what it says in verse 8. It is the gift of God. You don't work for a gift. The gift is given to you. It's a gift. A gift we receive from another, for example, a Christmas time, or birthday, or graduation. That gift is purchased by the giver. The gift of God is no different. Salvation was purchased for us by the price paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. He purchased it. He paid for it. He paid for it by His blood. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of what? His grace. It's grace. The, the word redemption. Of course, he paid the ransom price to release us from the slavery of our sin. His blood, his death. The gift of faith was purchased. Romans 3.24 says, As being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Justified as a, we're declared righteous as a gift. The gift could be given to us because of the redemptive price paid by Jesus Christ. He purchased it. The whole of salvation is a gift of God. It is nothing that we earn, nothing that we deserve, nothing that we could achieve. It is from him and him alone. what the word tells us now it's presented negatively you notice it's not of yourselves there in verse 8 meaning this is not from within us it's not from our power it is not from our resources it can't come from us remember I already told us the text tells us that we were dead couldn't make yourself alive. You couldn't save yourself. It had to come from him. And it did. That's what he tells us. Now in verse 9, the apostle continues, not as a result of works. Works Human effort. Human effort. The reality is, um, works and grace are mutually exclusive concepts. They're like oil and water. They do not mix. Salvation is by grace alone. Why is this? Why is this? Why does God exclude us from partnering with him in salvation? Why is it by grace alone? You can see in verse 9, so that no one may boast. Because you know as well as I do, we'd be like a peacock. 
You know, the peacock has its plumage in the back, the fan. We'd have that baby Ray. Look at me. God's purpose in saving us by his grace alone is that there will be no room for us to boast. Nobody be walking around in heaven saying, look at me. By the way, I believe this. Only person who's going to be bragged on in heaven is Jesus Christ. We'll be talking about his exploits, praising him for his sacrifice, praising the Father for sending him, praising the Holy Spirit for him opening our eyes to the gospel. The praise will go to the triune God. None of us will be in heaven boasting. Boasting is eliminated. Utterly eliminated. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. The only reason you are united to Christ, the only reason you're on your way to heaven, the only reason you know God is your heavenly father, only reason the Holy Spirit lives within you, only reason you have eternal life is because of his doing. God alone saves and it's he who alone is to be praised God, God, let me tell you something. God is all about his glory. That's a shock to moderns. Because everything is all focused on them. On what they lack and what they wish and all of this. God said, ah, hold on. I didn't create this universe for you. I created it for my glory. People around looking at their navel and say, get out of your navel and look up to God. It's about his glory. You say, why is it about his glory? Because he's God. When you go off and you create a universe that's infinite and you create intelligences and you are sovereign and you're omnipotent and you're omniscient, then it'll be about you. But until then, I understand it's about him. And God's going to be glorified. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. He, he wants his grace Extolled. You know why he's done all this for us? Why he chose us and predestined us to be to the adoption of sons in Jesus Christ? You know why he's done that? Here it is in verse 6 of Ephesians 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The beloved of course being Jesus Christ. It's his glory. Praise the glory of his grace. That's why. Praise of his glory. It's what God is up to. Salvation in all of human history. Down in verse 12, the end of the verse, it says, to the praise of his glory. In verse 14, to the praise of his glory. God is not going to allow us to boast. It's about his glory. We must understand, now get this, brothers and sisters, we must understand that God's ultimate aim in history and eternity is his glory. And we need to understand this as well. That he will not share his glory with another. Period. 
Isaiah 48, verse 11 says this, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. End of quote. God will not give his glory to anyone. He will not give it to us. We will not be able to take credit for our salvation. God says, no, 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 no. I did that, not you. John Piper was right when he penned these words. Quote, the glory of God is at the heart of the gospel. Faith sees and savors the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. You find that image of the glory of Christ. Piper is right. Piper continues, When we are dealing with the glory of God, we are dealing with a reality that is not only ultimate in the aim of history, but central to the gospel. Close quote. The gospel is about the glory of God and Christ. That's why we're saved by God's grace. To further punctuate this, next point, we are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. You see the conjunction there starts verse 10, 4. It tells us why this salvation is not of human origin or work. It eliminates boasting. The saved are God's workmanship. God wants to make this perfectly clear. We can't see it in the English rendering, but in the original language, it is clear. The word, his, is first in the Greek sentence. Koine Greek, the Greeks, when they would do that, they did that for this reason, to emphasize a matter. God, in this sentence, want to emphasize, hey, You are my workmanship. I did this alone. Workmanship. Poema is the word in the original. And our word poem comes from it. It speaks of a a literary production. Some have said it's like a, a work of art. Another rendering is masterpiece. It's just a good one. We are God's masterpiece. That word created, created there in that phrase, created in Christ Jesus. Created is katizo in the original. Now now get this, it is used in Romans 1.20 where it talks about God creating the universe. It is used here to talk about the new creation and salvation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're brand new. That's what salvation is. It is a new creation. You're not what you once were. You're something different. 
you see, you don't become a new creation by just simply going to church or joining a church. God has to do that. He's the creator. Think of this. Think of this this way as well. Where were you when God created the uh, universe? You weren't around. You couldn't help. When God created us as new creations, he didn't need a help to do that either. We are not co-creators. In fact, uh, to further amplify this, in the original language, the word created is a passive form. Meaning God did it. We were simply the recipients of divine action. We didn't help. We didn't say, okay, God, as I've said earlier, I'm, a, I'm over here doing my part. I, I'm going to work hard. I'm, I'm a, I know I have to help you out. Please. To need us. Sovereign. Omnipotent. Transformation of a sinner into a saint. A child by nature of wrath. To a child of God. He transferred us from. The devil's domain to the kingdom of his dear son. We were once. Lost but now we're found. We have been born from above. We were once headed to hell. Now we're headed to heaven. You can't do that apart from the power of God. He has to do that. You can't do that at all. He had to do that. That's who you are. That's how he changed you. And made you what you are. This day. Now, I'm going to tell you what. Why did God do this? God has something in mind. See it there in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. When God the Father elected us, when he chose us in his son Christ in eternity past, he also prepared beforehand that we would do good works. For us to do good works in history, think about this. When he elected us in Christ, when he said, I, you're going to be in Christ, you're going to be in Christ, you're going to be in Christ, you're going to be saved. I also have work for you to do. I have a plan for you in your life in human history. Before there was a planet, before there was a universe, God had a plan for us to do good works. It's amazing. Now, let me, let me say this so we make sure we're clear. Good works are not the producer of salvation, but the product of salvation. Good works are the result of us being new creations in Christ. Now, let's break this word down. What, what do we mean by good? Good means morally and beneficially good for us, those who are around us, and for God. Say, for God, for his glory. His glory. That's what it's about. And we're to walk in these good works. 
the word walk, you know, in the New Testament, in fact, the whole of the Bible is a metaphor for conduct, for behavior. Before we were uh, saved by the grace of God, we had a walk. But we walked differently, didn't we? I know we don't like to think about it. In Ephesians 2, 2, beginning at verse 1, let's start there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's how we walked. That was our conduct. We walked or conducted ourselves according to the world, its values, its practices, its standards, all of that. Whatever the world did, that's what we did because we were a part of the world. But we're now new creations in Christ. And because we're new creations in Christ, we walk differently. We walk in good works. So what are good works? I'm glad you asked. You always ask good questions. What are good works? They're delineated in this book. Let's look at a context the book of Ephesians. Verse 1 of Ephesians 4. Let's just take a quick little survey here. 4.1 Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to, there's the word, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called Drop down to verse 17 of the same chapter, chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that is Jesus Christ, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. We're not to walk like Gentiles or the sinners of people in the world any longer. Chapter 5. See it. Verse 2. And walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. We're to walk in love. Conduct ourselves in love like Christ did. Chapter 5, verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 15, Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you what? Walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Verse 16, let's add this, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You see, our walk is utterly different. We don't walk like we used to walk. We walk in the newness of life. Romans 6 chapter, verse 4. We walk differently. And as we do, guess what? Sanctification is going on. We live holy lives. Now, we walk by faith we walk by faith in his power 
It's how we do it. This is what we conduct ourselves by faith is power. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who works in and through us to both to will and to do according to his, what? Good pleasure. To do good works. He is at work in us. May I, let me, let me tell you this. Your life as a believer has eternal dimensions. First, in eternity past, you were chosen by God the Father to be in Christ. And in time, as human history, you heard the gospel at the point in time that God determined he gave you faith by his grace you are saved. But he's not done. He chose us in eternity past. We're saved in between eternity past and eternity future. That's history. He has something in store for us in eternity future. You say, what might that be? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Look at what the word says. So that in the ages to come, that's eternity, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me put it like this. Believers in eternity future will be displayed by God as trophies of his grace. All of the created intelligences, the holy angels, all will see, look at them, God's trophies of grace. Notice the word grace. From start to finish, it is all of grace. God's grace alone. Boy, I tell you what, we ought to be mighty thankful to him for what he's done for us. Amen? Amen. Hmm. Think of the alternative. Think of the alternative he hadn't chosen you. Thank him that he did. And live for his glory and honor. Even more so. As a response of gratitude to him for what he's done for us who deserve nothing from him but eternal condemnation. Give him glory now. In an eternity future, we'll perfectly give him glory. Let us pray together. Our God and our Father, we thank you for um, grace. The grace that has saved us not from ourselves, not from our works, not from our effort. Nothing that we did is all your grace. We thank you for your favor to us in this room who are saved. We pray for those who are not Christians. You open their eyes. Bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are listening to me um, live stream, open their hearts as well. Without the Savior, 
bring them to yourself. We pray you do it for your glory, for your praise, and for their eternal joy and well-being. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.